Every day, around 50,000 cargo ships move 11 billion tonnes of goods around the world from port to port. The energy required to power shipping for just one year would be enough to power New York City for 60 years. The sheer scale of the industry means it accounts for almost 3% of all carbon dioxide emissions, and that's predicted to grow. When it comes to making shipping cleaner, who can help the industry clean up its act? If you look at the top 500 companies, uh, for example, in the world, uh, just three years ago, uh, you'll see 16 uh, of them, around 30, uh, making commitments around carbon reduction that are in line with the Paris Agreement. That number in just two years has increased to more than 120. If you look now to the number of vessels in the world fleet that are currently using alternative fuels, i.e. the better fuel options, is less than 1%. And does more headway need to be made in carbon emissions goals? I truly sincerely believe that the shipping industry should embrace the challenge of having a zero emission profile by 2050. I'm Bryony McKenzie, and you're listening to the Energy Podcast, brought to you by Shell. Today, can shipping navigate to net zero? From the click of a mouse to the deck of a ship. Every day, millions of us do exactly what I'm doing now. Going online, clicking add to basket and buying products from the other side of the world. 80% of the world's trade at some point travels on a ship. Those online purchases could be on a container vessel right now. That scale is why the industry is beginning to be overhauled when it comes to how much it contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. We asked all of the leaders in the industry, what do you think, how important is decarbonisation? 95% around the globe said it's one of our top three priorities. That's Tarek Helmy from Deloitte, who co-authored a major new report commissioned by Shell into cleaning up shipping. We'll be hearing from him and a panel of experts in a moment. But first, what stands in the way of swapping heavy fuel oil used for shipping vessels for cleaner alternatives? In the summer of 2020, Shell teamed up with Deloitte to speak to more than 80 leaders in the shipping industry to identify the sticking points and possible solutions. Carrie Troth is Shell's general manager for shipping and maritime for the Americas. When you say decarbonising a vessel, for people who may not know what that is, it's using a different fuel or operating the vessel in a different way. Decarbonising shipping is changing fuels. It's changing operating patterns, and it's probably changing the actual equipment on board ships. Shipping can't simply choose a new zero-carbon fuel. We need to develop the infrastructure to get that fuels to the ships. We need to develop new ships that can use the zero-emission fuels, and we need to develop the fuels themselves. At Shell, we think hydrogen is the zero-emission fuel that's most likely to work for shipping. But it is going to take time to get to a point where zero-emission hydrogen is available at the scale needed globally and for the industry to make the changes to ships and ports that will be needed. We can't just wait, though. We need to take action on decarbonizing shipping today as we research and test the fuels and technologies for the future. So that means taking actions on vessels already on the water by, as example, adding biofuels. 
It means moving to LNG, liquefied natural gas, which is a lower carbon fuel available today. And crucially, it also means managing and reducing methane emissions from LNG to ensure that the overall environmental impact is improved. And it means stepping up deployment of energy efficient technologies on ships to reduce emissions as much as possible right now. Why is shipping so hard to decarbonize? What is the root of the problem? The root of the the challenge that we face as the industry is that ships last for a long time. A ship can operate for 20, 30, 40 years. And so the ships that we're building today will still be operating mid-century. Earlier this year, Shell partnered with Deloitte to conduct research on the topic. And this question comes out in a report called All Hands on Deck. The energy required to power shipping for just one year would be enough to power New York City for 60 years. So it's a huge amount of energy that we spend in the industry um, and an enormous amount of product moving by sea every year. So then when you start to think about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, you have to think about new fuels. And the industry's currently exploring several alternate fuels, whether that's hydrogen, ammonia, methanol, biofuels, but all of these have different commercial and technical limitations. Um, Costs of the fuels are significantly higher than today's dominant shipping fuel, and most of the potential alternatives uh, have lower energy density. Um, They take up more volume for the amount of fuel that you need to go from, say, China to the west coast of the U.S., Do cleaner ships mean more expensive products on the shelves? Because the cost of using different fuel, making a ship more efficient, has to be passed on somewhere. Would that get passed on to the consumer? At its very simplest, we all recognise that the increase in cost of fuels, the increase in cost of ships in the near term, does need to be borne by the ultimate consumer. It's intuitive that increased fuel costs... Uh, new technologies, they add costs to the ships, but everything we're doing in this collaborative environment is working to identify cost competitive solutions that also meet decarbonization goals. What's Shell doing to decarbonize shipping? One of the actions we're taking is on regulation. We're calling on the International Maritime Organization that sets global rules. Um, they regulate the international shipping sector to put in place a regulation for net zero emission shipping industry by 2050. The IMO, the International Maritime Organization, has set a goal to reduce the industry's greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% by 2050. Is that ambitious enough? Shell is leading the conversation and asking the IMO to move faster and take a more ambitious target and move from halving or reducing the emissions by 50% by 2050 to get to net zero by 2050. And we believe that's possible. Carrie Troth, thanks for joining us. As Carrie mentioned there, hydrogen technology could be a potential solution. It's a fuel we've previously discussed on the Energy Podcast as an alternative to petrol and diesel in vehicles. You can check out the episode if you haven't already. Can this or any other fuel be scaled up for shipping? Knut Orbeck Nielsen is the CEO of DNVGL Maritime. They advise on standards for ships and look for solutions to global problems in shipping. 
They're based in Norway, where hydrogen vessels are being used for shorter inland routes. Let's pick up on that IMO emissions reduction goal. Is it ambitious enough? It is very ambitious. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are people out there who would say that it's not ambitious enough. But if you know where we are at this point in time, I would say that it is truly very ambitious. It's possible, but it will require a significant effort by the industry. And the reason why I say that, if, if you look now to the number of vessels in the world fleet that are currently using alternative fuels, i.e. the better fuel options, is less than 1%. So we, we haven't really started on the journey. And if you look to you know, some of the short sea, those are the coastal vessels that trades, you know, inside specific regions. There you can see a much further development. And some of these are also using batteries. So it's really important that this decade we really get the pace up. And um, you recently published a, a flagship report, Maritime Forecast to 2050. So what were the headline findings in that report? What we really made an effort to was to look at 30 different scenarios. And these are scenarios where we look at different fuel options. What are the different price scenarios? What are the, the pace of regulatory uh, restrictions and, and instructions? And then we come up with some recommendations to the future. And what we really find is the best choice for most ship owners is really to try to utilize gas or LNG. That's liquefied natural gas. As fuel. And we think that that is a really good option for maybe the next one or two vessel generations. But as you know, with gas, you do not get to, um, you know, perfectly get rid of, of CO2 emissions. So the um, reduction is around 20 to 25%. So you would still need to do more as you progress towards 2050. And that's where you have the optionality to put in what we call the drop-in fuels. And drop-in fuels could be LNG produced from renewable sources that will make them carbon neutral. Or it could be also produced where you have carbon capture and storage uh, up the value chain and and. The, thus having it uh, carbon neutral from fossil fuels. So gas as fuel is really the best option that we see now. And then further on, there are some promising candidates around ammonia and methanol. Knut Orbeck-Nielsen, thanks for joining us. Well, let's get a business and customer perspective. Joining me now is Randy Chen, Vice Chairman of Wan High Lines, one of the leading container shipping companies based in Asia. Allard Castellane, CEO of the port of Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And Tarek Helmy, partner at Deloitte, who co-authored that industry-wide report into shipping. Tarek, let's start with you. How important is it for the shipping industry to reduce carbon emissions? I think the answer it is um, it's becoming more important very quickly. Uh, that's the answer we can be sure of. If you look at the top 500 companies, uh, for example, in the world, uh, just three years ago, uh, you'll see 16 uh, of them, around 30, uh, making commitments around carbon reduction that are in line with the Paris Agreement. That number in just two years has increased to more than 
120. Uh, so it gives you an indication about how important it's becoming. And in our work with Shell and uh, the report we created on uh, All Hands on Deck, uh, we asked all of the leaders in the industry, what do you think? How important is decarbonization? 95% around the globe said it's one of our top three priorities. And that happened even during the, the tough COVID times. So I think we can clearly say that decarbonization has really become a, a global imperative. Randy, you were one of those companies that participated um, in the report. Talk a bit about WAN High Lines and what you are doing in this space. It's really interesting. Our, our path to be involved in this dialogue has been a long winding one, actually. Uh, several years ago, we were invited uh, to the Danish Maritime Forum and that was the first time we really talked about very long-durated environmental concerns. We're usually known as an industry that drags our feet, really, as one that tends to say, okay, we're going to comply with regulations at the last possible moment. But I would say that over the last two years, part of why we've raised awareness, even within our own corporate uh, boardrooms, has to do with the fact that our involvement in these multilateral organizations uh, has exposed us to see the importance of these issues on, again, a global scale, and not just among shipping stakeholders, but really among all stakeholders, whether it has to be with customers and other industry partners. Allard, you're the CEO of the Port of Rotterdam, the world's biggest port for 46 years up until fairly recently, and we should say you used to work on environmental issues at Shell. You're the forefront of changing things and new technologies. How big a shift is this going to be, do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a, a major shift, clearly. And even today's aspirational goals expressed by the IMO, I believe, are not stretched, stretching enough. I truly, sincerely believe that the shipping industry should embrace the challenge of having a zero emission profile um, by 2050. And, and I sincerely believe that in order to serve the planet, um, uh, we should kind of embrace this as an inev inevitable uh, opportunity uh, to be a force for good. So it's going to be a huge change um, and it needs a lot of front runners and it needs uh, uh, innovation. It needs uh, pricing of pollution and emissions uh, in order to justify uh, those changes. You mentioned innovation there. What do you see as the new technologies or new fuels that are going to be needed at scale to reach those goals? Um, Allard, if you, can, if you can give us your thoughts and then Randy and Tarrett will come to you. No, so first of all, I, I, I sincerely believe there's not a silver bullet, right? And if it had it been easy, it would have done it already. So we need to accept that it's hard work, uh, loads of steps by many players over a prolonged period of time. I'm, I'm a great believer in human uh, ingenuity and, and, and opportunity. Feasible options will emerge, uh, but we, they won't emerge. And that's the building on Randy's comment of, of an industry known in the past uh, for perhaps not embracing change uh, too rapidly. If uh, We're not going to achieve the results if we're going to sit back and stay behind the spreadsheet. So we need entrepreneurs, we need shipping lines taking the lead, and they need to be motivated, incentivized, by making those changes and financial incentives clearly are, are part of that uh, equation. Randy, do you agree? Yeah, I think that the greatest challenge is the fact that there is no universal solution. Allard already mentioned a multitude of different approaches, uh, but they may be suitable, again, for near-sea shipping versus deep-sea shipping. Uh, the pathway for green biofuels using green ammonia, for using green hydrogen are all different and may have different stakeholders who would have interests in, 
in accelerating the development of not just the technologies themselves, but bringing those technologies to a commercially feasible level that would actually approach the productivity level of how shipping employs its assets today. Let's pick up on that point of customer demand, Tarek, because is this going to boil down to uh, a retailer or a brand or a, a customer, as, as you call them, um, who may be you know, a big beverage supplier or a, a car manufacturer saying, we need our supply chain to be net zero. We need it to have the lowest emissions possible. And therefore, we are willing to pay more. We're willing for our, pro- our product to be more expensive to make that happen. Give us some idea of how it works. I think more and more we see customers acknowledging the fact that they need to do something about it and they're putting targets for themselves, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning. Alad. We have started collaboration with the uh, Heineken uh, company. Uh, They have a large export brewery in the area. So we will now start supplying them with residual heat from industrial processes so they can renew and make their uh, energy source sustainable. Subsequently, we've now invested in a electrification of the inland shipping uh, facilities with uh, battery-packed uh, uh, generation capacity. So inland ships will, will sail from the brewery to uh, the export terminal uh, here in our port. And there, uh, a major liner is now prepared to sail that particular beer to U.S. Uh, destiny uh, on biofuels, currently commingled with existing stuff. But ultimately, of course, uh, Heineken will be prepared to pro- pro- uh, develop a proposition whereby they will be able to sell a, an export beer in the U.S. Uh, uh, entirely sustainable. Liquefied natural gas, or LNG as it's often referred to, is a lower emission fuel. Is it a fuel that can get shipping to meet its carbon emissions goal? LNG is interesting because relative to heavy fuel oil or low sulfur fuel oil uh, that's really come into effect with January 1 of this last year, it it, it does have a much lower emissions profile than the traditional fuels. Uh, But it is not a decarbonized option because at the end of the day, LNG comes from the ground and anything that comes from the ground uh, is drawn from the ground, if you will, will emit CO2 just by the nature of its fuel profile. Uh, It also has another problem in that it produces methane, which I think these uh, last couple of weeks has become a bigger, there's become more awareness that methane plays a much uh, of significant contributing factor to the global warming uh, situation as well. So the reason why we've been talking uh, about alternative fuels like green biofuels, like green ammonia uh, and the like, and green hydrogen is because those are the longer term solutions that have to be in play. I just want you to give me your top thoughts on decarbonisation of shipping. Tarek. I think shipping is is, is entering a new paradigm uh, where decarbonisation as a topic will accelerate and will become more and more important. And, and I think we will see more innovation, more results coming sooner than what we expect, probably in the next five to seven years. Randy. The decarbonisation challenge for shipping is an inherently complex one because it includes the characteristics of a classic chicken and egg problem. It includes the challenges of dealing with stranded assets and the legacy fleet that will exist even beyond the goals that have been set out by the IMO. And it also has to do with bringing forth stakeholders who traditionally have not played a huge role in shipping. I would encourage the shipping industry to 
embrace the challenge as an opportunity. Uh, and I still sense it's perceived to be uh, a huge threat. Uh, I've witnessed many industrial organizations and sectors and segments move from threat to opportunity and geared and, and directed their entire company towards providing the solutions. And I can give you numerous examples of companies whose tone of voice, uh, attitude, uh, dynamics have changed dramatically as a consequence. But once you've acknowledged it to be an opportunity rather than a threat, things begin to move. Good to speak to you all and get your insights. So, what more is needed? Joining me now is Aoife O'Leary, Director at the Environmental Defence Fund for Europe. The IMO has set this goal to reduce the industry's greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% by 2050. Do you think it's ambitious enough? Sadly not. Um, It's not in line with the Paris Agreement and that's really the standard we have to be measuring all our climate goals against. So in order to meet the temperature goal of only 1.5 degree temperature increase, shipping really needs to entirely decarbonise by the late 2030s. And to meet the two degree goal, it needs to decarbonise entirely by 2050. So you can see immediately that it's a huge lift, but the technologies are there. What we really need in place is the policy. Once we get the policy in place that will actually drive that decarbonisation, the technology is there, it can all happen. There's a lot of talk about getting to net zero and there's obviously a 30-year period um, from now uh, until 2050. LNG, liquefied natural gas, could that be part of the mix to eventually solving the problem? No, that's the short answer. So LNG is another fossil fuel. So straight away, we have to move away from fossil fuels. Now, there is um, some debate on whether LNG actually reduces um, the climate impact of shipping or not. And really, that debate is just about how you account for it. Because if you look at the full life cycle of LNG, so not just the emissions from the ship, but also how it's processed and extracted, there are a huge amount of methane emissions that are not really accounted for, that are not accounted for at the moment. And methane is hugely damaging to the climate on a 20-year perspective. So if you do your calculations just on a 100-year perspective, which is, in fairness, the industry standard, um, then it looks less damaging than it actually is. But the thing about it is we're now in 2020, right? And you've you've just asked me about the 30 years to 2050. But if we're spending 20 of them emitting this really, really potent greenhouse gas, then we've lost a huge amount of our carbon budget. Who should be doing more to make it happen? Not saying they're going to be doing more, but actually doing more. Luckily, there are some really ambitious member states in the IMO, especially the Pacific Islands who, you know, are fighting for survival because of climate change. However, having said that, what I would say is voluntary action is never going to be enough. No industry has decarbonized itself without either a financial incentive or a policy mandate. We know we can get the policy mandate in place in the IMO and through the policy mandate, we'll get the financial incentive. So it's really, really all eyes on regulators and the ambitious industry need to do what they can internally in terms of technology, their own emissions, but also to talk to their countries, their shipping ministers, 
you know, and advocate for that policy to be put in place so that they can decarbonise on a level playing field across the world. Aoife O'Leary, thanks for your time. With oceans covering more than 70% of the world's surface, to move the things that humans need and want around the world, most of the time they need to travel on a ship. Maybe because it's things rather than people taking these journeys. The focus has not been on the industry to decarbonise as much as it has been on, say, aviation. But as we've heard today, that is changing. With leaps in technology and growing international collaboration, many eyes are on the shipping sector as it plots a course for a cleaner future. You've been listening to the Energy Podcast presented by me, Bryony McKenzie, and brought to you by Shell. You can find the Energy Podcast on Spotify, Apple and Google. Just hit subscribe to listen to the other episodes on all things energy related. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not Shell or its affiliates. Thank you for listening and goodbye.